Good to see you here. Tell you, one, uh, one of the young ladies that was up here walked off stage and walked down there and sat with her brand new husband. And I won't point at him. Oh, I just did. <laughs> um, and there's another young lady that was up here on stage who's uh, will be her, her husband to be uh, in October is up here. So um, young adults, I'm just saying, join the praise team. You know, I don't know. Get a... <laughs> of course, another guy up here. He and his wife just had a brand new baby, so I don't know if we won't go there. But uh, tell you what, I Mark speaks to these um, young adults, and Obi does too. Um, it is. It is. It is. Probably it's more important what they do on Monday than what they do up singing up here on Sunday. You know that? It is what you do during the week, living out your faith that overflows on Sunday. Whether you teach, whether you sing, whether you're crazy enough to preach, it's what we do during the week that should just bubble out on Sunday because we've been faithful all week long. Faithful to do the right things the right way in God's way. Pastor Doug uh, has begun a sabbatical. Um, it's not the one he planned um, because of illness and Vicky's family. They are going to stay close to the area. Things um, uh, just are, are not, uh, they need to be close uh, for the sake of Vicky's mom and dad. And so he takes time, usually takes this time to do some studying, sometimes some in-depth stuff. Uh, their plan was to literally go away and, and be away for a little while to do just some real in-depth praying and studying. He'll plan some of his sermon series over the next year. What Pastor does often is he kind of thinks about our church. He thinks about you sitting where you're at and 940 and everybody else and life groups and online and says, Lord, how, how do I need to feed the sheep? How do I need to be the kind of pastor and leader to them? What I need to be? What do you want to change in me? How do I need to direct those sermons that will encourage the church? And so pray for him while he's away. Next Sunday, we'll have the privilege of having Doug Morrow from our Illinois Baptist State office. Doug is the director of the Baptist Foundation. And so after this, uh, the service in the afternoon, and I think that information is, is in your bulletin, there will be kind of an estate planning seminar. It's free, no cost. Doug will try to give you some best practices for what to do. Um, honestly, our Baptist Foundation, and even our church, as Mark talked about Dave Ramsey, we're as interested in what you do with 100% of what God gives you than just that 10% tithe. We want you to be wise, good stewards. I want you to plan wisely for your future and for your family. And so Doug will be here um, Sunday. He'll do an afternoon seminar. Also, we'll have some information. I'll have some information on that freewill.com. 27 or so different families of our church have taken, uh, some of those families have taken advantage of that, literally gone online, done, done their will on their own, printed it out, and we've provided folks here that will um, notarize it for them. So if you want to know more about that, next Sunday you can uh, be here during that time and we'll help you plan your own will. Matter of fact, one of our families has already had a chance to execute that will uh, with the loss of a loved one since they did it um, this last year. So that's the kind of the drill this next week. Uh, after that, uh, Obi gets to preach, and, uh, and we get to preach, literally. We're, we're excited to. Bryson will follow that in October, and so we'll, uh, uh, we've got, I tell you what, we, I, I think our bullpen's deep. It gets even better after today. It, it, it's going to get good. And I I'm, I'm love these guys that are coming after me. But pray for Vicky and Doug if you would. And as I think about um, not only the verse for today, but people around me. I, I went to uh, the dentist the other day and um, got a, a cleaning and all that stuff. And as 
I got ready to leave his office, he had the gall to sit down next to me and, and offer me a few things. I got a brand new toothbrush. He expects me to use it. Uh, uh, Doreen, the, okay. The dental hygienist back there. And you know what else I got? A free tube of toothpaste, Doreen. And the man had the gall to give me floss. Okay? I don't even like this stuff. Um, Doreen can show you how to use this if you want to later. I'll throw this to you, Doreen. You can... yeah, the man wants me to floss my teeth. What's with the guy? You know, I brush my teeth, you know? And, I, you know, he asked me, he said, have, you know, have you flossed? And I said, duh. The last time I was here, you saw it, you know. I, I did a floss, you know. I mean, I, he, I just don't get it. I don't get, and then he said he set up an appointment for four months later. I mean, I, he wants me to do certain things to take care of my teeth, and I, you know, I guess maybe I better listen. He knows what he's doing. When I went in there, I was, my, uh, my mom and dad both had false teeth by the time they were 40. You know, I got other members of my family that, that have terrible teeth, and so this dentist has tried to help me. My mechanic, though, that rascal was up here on stage too. He had the gall to tell me that I need to switch to synthetic oil in my Toyota Tacoma. Now, what does this guy think he's doing? What does he think he is? He, he's telling me what kind of oil to put in my truck. I've driven vehicles. I've driven probably 15 different vehicles. I've driven many of them over 200,000 miles. I'm going for 300,000 miles in my Tacoma. He tells me I need to add synthetic oil. And I said, well, he said, if you'd have seen the oil pan when I dropped it and what's in the bottom of that, the way you drive and how you drive, where you're going back and forth to church, you need to switch to synthetic. And I'm thinking, what does this guy know? Well, he's been keeping the truck running, and actually he teaches mechanics at a college in St. Louis. So I think he's a little smarter than I am, kind of like my dentist. He knows what I don't know. He knows what I should do. Um, and, but, you know, there are people around us that want to tell us how to do things and, and where and when to do it, and, and they just kind of want to get in our lives. And, you know, sometimes I think as a Christian, we want, you kind of want to do the same thing. Well, God, what is it you want? I mean, I'm going to church. What is it you want? Why does that crazy pastor say what happens on Monday is probably as important, if not more important, than what happens on Sunday? for a lot of reasons. As Christians, we overcomplicate Christianity. I really do. I think it's mankind's, just, it's, it's our innate nature to take something really, really, really simple and make it super complicated. Super complicated. Um, and we, we should realize that what God wants is simple. He wants a simple faith versus a complicated faith. He wants a relationship rather than religion. He wants a quiet walk with us rather than a noisy show introducing to everybody who's in the room. God wants to walk and talk with us. You know, he created us that way. Think about it, Genesis. He created us to be in the garden, to walk and talk with him in the garden, to be with him. And that was kind of a, you know, we were going to have fellowship with God. He made us. He made it beautiful. He made us in charge. All the things were going right until we decided, and we do it every day, eh, it wasn't good enough. And until Satan decided to, to try to trick us, and how well he did, to say, you know what, What's, God, what about this tree here? Can you eat from that tree? Oh, no, God told us we're not supposed to eat from that tree. How many thousand others can we eat from but the forbidden one? Man, I've, uh, it, it, you, you just, the forbidden, one tree, thousands we can eat from. But the devil convinces God's holding out on us. And so what do we do? We take what we shouldn't. We, do, we, we disobey. 
And the, what's the first thing that happens that mankind does in terms of his relationship with God? First thing he does in terms of how he relates to God, what does he do? The scripture says, and, and Adam was hiding from God as he was walking in the garden. Sin makes us hide. God wants to walk and talk with us, but sin makes us hide from him. Because we're embarrassed, we're ashamed of what we've done. It's wrong. And in our shame, we hide. God says, I still want to walk with you. I still want to talk with you. I want to follow you. I, I, I want you to, to be in love with me and follow me. I want you to be that kind of, of, of child of mine that we can enjoy each other together. And we can have that. Really, we can. It can be that simple again, that we, we can walk and talk with God. The passage in, in Micah, chapter 6, is one that um, Micah the prophet deals with in, in actually the whole of his book. Micah is one of those Old Testament prophets. He's called a minor prophet. It's not because um, he's not nearly as important as the other guys. It's not he's not a minor prophet because he's shorter than the other guys, okay? He's a minor prophet because there are only seven chapters in his book. Isaiah, Jeremiah, 30 and 40 chapters. They have a lot, a lot to say. They, they have a little more verbose. But Micah is just as important, if not more important, in some ways, uh, how he speaks to Israel or to Judah. Micah exists during a time when the northern kingdom, he watches the northern kingdom being carried off into captivity. The kingdom, of course, is split in half. Rehoboam, Jeroboam, um, Solomon's sons. And so as the kingdom split, the northern kingdom is carried off. And Micah is there to say to the southern kingdom, to Judah, look at what happened. The northern kingdom was unfaithful to God. The northern kingdom did not listen to God. The northern kingdom did not honor God. And look what happened. And it can happen to you too. And here's how it can happen. We, the moment we become disobedient to God, the moment we become unfaithful to Him and we look to other gods and other things and ourselves is the moment that we quit walking and talking with Him. And so the warning there for Micah to that southern kingdom is don't do it. Don't do it. Um, he sets up, the, the entire book is sort of set up as, as God's warning in, in a certain way. And Micah 6, it's kind of building, because Micah 6 is actually called God's lawsuit against Judah. God's lawsuit against his people. And what, what Micah is saying is, hey, God had a covenant with you. God said, if you'll do these things, I'll do these things. And you have broken your promise, Judah. Children of God, you've broken your promise with me. I've been faithful, God says. I've been, I've been there for you. I've supplied. I've given you leadership. I've guided you. My love has been an unfaithful love. Those mercies are new every morning. Great is my faithfulness. The Old Testament tells us, God says, and yet you have been unfaithful to me. Micah talks about the, the, the children of Israel in terms of uh, the, even the land and the hills and the mountains are a testimony against them. Well, that's a unique way that, you know, there's a sense in which um, uh, some of those who've been to the, the Middle East, and of course we have another group leaving uh, this uh, late this year. Um, Pastor and Vicki intend to try to make that trip happen if we can and go to Israel again. But one of the men that came back said, you know, it was something to stand on a, on a mountain there in the Holy Land, he said. And standing on that mountain, I could look down at a valley that Jesus talked about a certain man, you know, fell to robbers, and they talk about the Good Samaritan, the man that fell to robbers, and, and uh, that through the other part of that valley, Jesus had walked and gone to that town, he flipped the Bible, and he said, then over here was a, was a sea, and it was a sea that Jesus got on a boat and went over, and I could see all of this, and here was the, the little river, and here was, on beyond was, I said, it just kind of came alive to me, and, and he said, I thought to myself, 
boy, if this mountain, if that river, if that sea could just talk, the people that have been on them, the people that have been near them, they, they could give testimony of, of the th- hundreds and thousands of years of history that have gone on in this place. And Mike is saying that very thing. Hey, these hills have heard your words. These, these rivers have seen your deeds. These skies, these trees, they know what you've done, Judah, and you have been unfaithful. Micah kind of brings that. Verse, uh, chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. In the Old Testament, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there with me. I think we'll have the words on the screen as well. If you're looking at home, you can just turn uh, with us to Micah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Micah's, again, that book almost at the end of the Old Testament, after, certainly after Psalms is in the middle and Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the way toward the end of the book. If you go to Habakkuk, you've gone too far. So Micah 6, beginning with verse 1. Let me read. Now listen to what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your complaint. Listen to the Lord's lawsuit, you mountains, and enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people, and he will argue it against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Testify against me. Indeed, I've brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam ahead of you, my people, remember what King Balak of Moab proposed, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal, so that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous acts. Now it sort of shifts as to the people saying, all right, God said all this, so verse 6 says, what should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before the Lord on high? Should I come to him with burnt offerings, uh, with year old calves? which would be the ultimate of, of a sacrifice. It would be an incredible one, a valuable one, a year-old calf, were, um, just the perfect one, very costly. Verse 7 kind of goes on with, with a little bit more of the, the lavish kind of thing. Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Maybe God wants. And then he goes to the absurd, which God never asked and never would, but he says... Or should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring, offspring of my body for my own sin? God never asked for human sacrifice, never did. Um, only in one case did he uh, see, test Abraham's faithfulness, but that was a forbidden thing. And so it was, it was, it was ridiculous. You know, what does God want here? And then we see in verse 8, Mankind, he has told each of you what is good. And what is it that the Lord requires of you? to act justly, and to love faithfulness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, a faithful love, and to walk humbly with your God. God, as he asks of his people, he asks us to be that kind of people who are so faithful to him. The Library of Congress, that building in D.C., the, the Library of Congress is in, in, in the great reading room of the Library of Congress. You may have seen pictures of it. It's got kind of concentric circles of desks that, are, that uh, you can read it, books at from the Library of Congress. Has, um, and you can see them in the, kind of in the, in the cupola building on the very top, huge windows. And between each window is an alcove with, a, with, with statements that are written from different people. Many scriptures actually written up there about God and creation and all kinds of things. 
But one of the verses speaking to religion um, that's in the Library of Congress on the alcove is this verse. Mankind, he has told each one of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. They got the religious leaders together of the day when they built that building, Jewish and, and, and Christian alike, and said, if there's one verse that encapsulates the Old Testament, if there's one verse that we could put up there in the Library of Congress, what, what verse would it be? And all of them agreed that this Micah 6-8 was the perfect one. Because God asks us, that's what he requires. He requires that we would act justly, to, that we would love uh, with a merciful kind of love, and that we would walk humbly with him. I think maybe it's time for some of our senators and congressmen to look up into the own walls of their own building and see the truth of what God wants. It's not more laws, it's not legislating, it's not man's opinion, it's, it's God's that we need to look to. Life can get real simple if we'll just do stuff God's way, uncomplicated in so many ways. So God has called us to be that kind of people, to act justly. And so as we do that very thing, what we're talking about here is, is a person who is not only just, but, but they're honest. This is a person who, who loves life, who's been called to, to the, the job they're doing, or whatever they're doing in school or class or what, the family they're in. But he expects us, if we're to be true Christians, to be honest. He expects us to be fair. He expects us to be kind. I mean, just to act justly. That's what he wants from you tomorrow. You want to exemplify Jesus Christ? You want to please God with your life? It's not by the, just by the offering envelope you bring today. It's about the life you live tomorrow. He wants us to be willing to live life with integrity. Will people say she is a person of her word? He is a person of his word. When he says it, he intends to do it. Are you known as somebody who is honest, who gives, and who, who is, is kind, whose general nature is to be one to, to be willing to help others? Who, are you a person who acts justly? You're honest, you're willing to do the right thing, and you do it on a regular basis. That's what God has called us to do, to, to act justly. And in doing so, in doing so, he does some incredible things in our own life. He gives us a sense of direction. He gives us a sense of purpose. He gives us a sense of being pleasing to him. He also calls us, though, to love with mercy. Some translations use the word to love in faithfulness, a love of a faithful love, the word, and some use mercy. But what we're talking about here is the kind of mercy that is a faithful love. It doesn't seek out revenge. If I were to, to give you, um, you know, modern-day people that we would think of like that, uh, the Mother Teresas and maybe even the Billy Grahams and others that lived life well. They lived it with the other people in mind. You know, an Old Testament character that would be a perfect one for, for this kind of thing, to, to love mercy, would be, jo would be Joseph. Sold into slavery by his brothers, almost killed, you know, robbed of his clothes, sold to the hand of the Egyptians, and yet he finds God's favor in Egypt. If you, you can read that story, and it is a powerful one. And when he finds favor, he literally is second in command to the Pharaoh of Egypt. And is in second in command when his brothers come from their homeland down to Egypt to buy grain, because there's nothing in their land to buy. There's no food to be had. When they're hungry and they are at, at the last possible, David sees his brothers coming, and he knows, that's my family. That's those clowns that sold me into slavery. That's those guys that wanted me killed. That's those guys that, you know, that basically wanted rid of me. Um, 
Boy, David could have had his heyday with them in an easy way. He, he had them in his grasp. He had them in his control. Instead, what David did was he listened to God. And David said to his own brothers later as he would confess to them, of course, he played a few games with them, threw a few of them in prison for a short time and messed with their backpacks and found gold and he played little tricks. But I, I think it kind of heightened the fact that David, they, David wanted them to realize I could have done more, but I didn't. I could have really... Because what you meant for evil, David says, God meant for good. What you meant for evil in selling me into slavery, what you meant for evil in, 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 in basically uh, treating me the way you did, God used it for good all the way through. And I am here today, and I'm here to be able to, to, to take care of my family, to take care of my father. And what do you know, eventually those would be the same people who by the thousands and hundreds of thousands would go into a promised land. Thanks to the merciful love of Joseph, the merciful love of Joseph toward his brothers and their families and his father, God saved and spared his family in such a way that they would be the powerful family that would ultimately, ultimately inhabit that holy land and that land in which they'd have Jacob or Joseph, rather than enacting revenge, which he could have, he really could have. If you're going to go equal, you know, well, they did this, so I get to do that. And that's usually the game we play is with kids. You know, we, well, they did this, so I deserve to do that. Joseph decided, I'm not going to play that game. God, I'm going to, I'm going to play it your way. I am going to show mercy. That's the kind of love God calls us to be. Just be that. When somebody else wrongs you, as Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Be willing to say, you know, I'm just not going there. Now, there's a time to step away. There's a time to just walk away and decide, I got some, some friends I need to leave. I've got some others I just need to, to distance myself from. I'm not going to put myself through that, but I'm not going to act revengeful. I'm, I'm just not going to show uh, you know, that nature of, that's, that's a hateful nature. I want to display God's love. I want to act justly, and I want to love with mercy, but also I want to walk humbly with my God. I want to walk humbly with Him, and I want to walk with Him in such a way that um, people see Jesus in me. What they see in me is not me, but they see Christ. And in walking humbly with him, I, I, I take back what was, was set in motion in the Garden of Eden. When Adam chose, and we do it every day, we choose to disobey God every day. We can't blame just Adam. But when we choose now to rather obey God, and we choose to live life his way, we, we, we have victory over the sin that happened not only in the garden, but we have victory over the sin that's happened in our own lives. We're living His way. We're living God's way in such a way that he, we show His honor and His glory. And in doing so, we're the kind of people that demonstrate that God loves us. So uh, the truth is God wants us to walk with Him day by day by day. And that's what I mean. There, there is a sense in which we, we should gather on Sundays, no question. The Bible tells us, do not forsake the assembling yourselves together. The first hour, uh, uh, part of our choir is up there, and I know Pastor Mark's been rehearsing with them for Christmas and getting some things done. And it was just kind of good to see some voices up there and hear them and faces. It's great to be with you and see voices and faces and, and to just um, be together. It's good. But, but when we come together, this, this little uh, group of us, this, this kind of holy huddle, if you will, it certainly pleases God. But what will please him more is how you live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So that when you come next Sunday and you lift your hands and say, God, 
I'm here to thank you. I'm here to love you. He says, I know, because you've been doing it all week long. All week long. I've watched you. The trees, the hills, the rivers, they bear witness to your life this last week. I've watched you. We are to walk humbly with God day by day by day by day. And in so doing that, we demonstrate Jesus Christ in a wonderful, wonderful way. And so I want to leave you just with these four thoughts in terms of things that I would have you know. I think that that this verse talks about first, doing the right thing is always the right thing. Doing the right thing is always the right thing. It may be hard. It may cost you more. It may be tougher. That's why the Bible says that broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. In your job, at your school, wherever you go this way, this week, doing the right thing is the right thing. Being honest, again, acting justly is, is the way to live. Demonstrate Christ. Oh, it, it grieved my heart a few months ago to hear somebody say, yeah, I worked with so-and-so. I worked at my job with so-and-so. And then I found out he was a member of this church. Uh, no longer a member of this church, but he was. He said, and they said, I got to tell you, if he'd have gone up to anybody in the office and said, could I share with you about the, the Jesus I know and love? They'd have said, man, I don't want what you got. <laughs> You're angry. You, you know, I don't want what you got. You don't, you don't know how to work hard. You know, you don't display qualities in me that, that I would ever want to emulate. And, I, you know, I'd rather not even hear that you're a Christian. Oh, that shouldn't be true. That shouldn't be true. Doing the right thing um, is always the right thing. Secondly, showing forgiveness instead of revenge demonstrates my understanding of Christ's death for my sin. Showing forgiveness instead of revenge demonstrates an understanding of Christ's death for my sin. I had a wedding, I had a, wedding, I had a funeral yesterday, a um, little lady that I knew, and I had a chance to meet with her um, before she died, and, and um, I met with her and said, hey, tell me your favorite scripture verses. She told me a few songs and things, and I, I told her what the doctors had said, and she said, I know. She said, so as I talk with your family, I talk with your kids, your grandkids, everybody, what do you, what do you want them to know? What, what's a favorite verse? And she said, John 3.16. And I thought, oh, great. Everybody's favorite verse is John 3.16. She said, no, really. I said, what about Romans Road? She, I, she said, yeah, I love those. Please, and you can use them. But she says, I honestly love the simplicity of John 3.16. 89 years old, laying in a hospital bed. Uh, you know, every breath was an effort. She begins to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that, you know, whoever believes in him will not perish, but he'll have everlasting life. She said, I just love the simple truth of that. And I said, you know, Mistel, uh, the, the converse of that is true, too. If we don't believe in him, we will perish. She said, I know, and I want them to know that. If they're going to come where I'm going, they've got to know the Jesus I know. Otherwise, they'll perish. And the simplicity of that, the simplicity of showing forgiveness in our life demonstrates Jesus to others. When we live a life that shows forgiveness instead of enacting revenge, when we show the forgiveness that Jesus gave, he came to give his life. And when we're willing to give our life for others, 
where we're willing to think of others instead of me. It demonstrates Jesus. It demonstrates the cross all over again and the sacrifice all over again in such a wonderful, wonderful way. That forgiveness is what God would have us do. Thirdly, God desires our heart in worship before money or sacrifice. Now, I'm, I wasn't trying to say you early, so hey, don't worry about anything at church. Don't worry about worshiping because, you know, that's not what counts. Um, it's the heart that counts first. God wants to know your heart is in the right place. Are you trusting him? Are you living for him? Are you asking for, for forgiveness daily? And, and when he offers it, when you mess up, he forgives. You know that? Isn't that amazing? He forgives. So clearly, he, he forgives and he makes brand new. Scripture tells us over and over again. When I mess up, God's there to say, hey, you ready to follow me again? Let's get back up, you know, let's keep going. Let's keep going. And so as we do that very thing in our own lives, we demonstrate that it's our heart that's in the right place. And so because our, when our heart's in the right place and we love God with all our heart, we want to serve. We want to come to church. We want to give our tithes and offerings we want to help others. We want to teach in life groups and classes and preschoolers that need workers. And, and we want to be in places um, working with students and you name it, kids' life, wherever. But we're listening to God about what, where to do that. We're listening to God about it. It's a heart that's prepared for worship. It's a heart that's ready to worship first. And when that heart's ready, what comes out of that heart will be an incredible outpouring of God's love and what God wants in our own lives. And then fourthly, submission rather than pride sets the ideal pace in godly daily living. Submission, and by submission I mean submitting to God rather than the pride that says I can do it all on my own, I don't need help. Submitting to Him and doing it His way is what matters most to Him. God's looking for people who will say, God, today use me. God's looking for people who will say, God, Today, before I leave this, my house, before I leave my place, I, I want to spend some time with you. I know you get busy. I get busy. Matter of fact, I get way too busy sometimes, and I, I find myself not having a quiet time. I get to, you know, taking a phone call here or there. Next thing I know, I'm gone, and, and I'm not in the word where I need to be, or I got interrupted. I, I know it's a busy life. <clears throat> I find myself in the drag myself back and saying, all right, before I end this day, Father, I need to have you. By beginning my day with him, my spiritual antenna are up, and I can say this, all right, God, here's the thing. You know what I need to do today at work or at school or in my neighborhood or with my family or wherever I'm going or even if I'm staying at home. You know what needs to get done. So, God, I want you to order my day for me. I want you to help me do it right. I want you to help me to be the best student I can be, to be the best worker I can be, to be the best whatever I can be. You know, even if you teach people how to floss their teeth, do it the best you can do it. God says, I want to use you at your work. And then, and then if you'll say, God, and while I'm doing my work, and I'm working the hardest I can work because I'm doing my job for you. I'm not doing it for the paycheck. I'm not doing it for my boss. Boy, I've had some jobs like that. There was a baby at home, and I was in school, and I just needed that job. I didn't get treated right. It wasn't nice. It wasn't pretty. But God took care of us. But when you say, God, I'm, I'm doing this for you, and, and God, along the way, I want to listen to you. And when you tell me there's something I need to do, I need to leave a, you know, a daily devotion guide from, that are free out here on, on the break table at my work. 
I need to, I need to maybe talk to so-and-so. I understand they're going through a family crisis and they're going through, who, name it, cancer, anything. And maybe I could pray for them. Well, I got to tell you, most of the time I ask people who, are, who, who have a sick family member or they're sick, may I pray for you? I, in my 65 years, I've never heard anybody say, no, I definitely don't want you to pray for me about my illness or my disease or my challenge. They all say, yeah, sure. Now, they may not, may not believe it, but just opening that door that little bit, can I pray for you right now? Says, You know what it says? It says that you, you believe you know the God of the universe, and you believe that in, you're, touch, you're in touch with that God of the universe, and you'd like to share a little bit of him with them, and it leaves the door open later for them to come to you and say, hey, tell me more about this this God you were praying about for me and that you prayed for me and I can't believe you did that. God says, use me every day. Walk with me. Walk humbly with your God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just Sunday. That means that what happens in here on Sunday, God says, ah, there's my children. They're gathered together. They're gathered in one place. They've worshiped me all week long. They've lived for me all week long. They've been obedient. They've acted justly. They've loved mercy They've walked humbly with me, and now they're together in one place, and I hear the sweet sounds of their obedient living. I hear the, 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 the fragrant you know, perfume of their daily life, and I am pleased with my children. Not only at First Baptist O'Fallon, but at churches around the world, I am pleased with my children. That's what God desires from us. He wants us to be that faithful Jesus summed up the New Testament in these, two, in these two scriptures. He said in Matthew 26 or 22, verses 36 through 40, that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus made it that simple. The theme, you can see the theme here in the Bible, Old Testament to New. God says, hey, just, you know, just act justly. Just love others and love me and act mercifully towards them as you love them. And then just be willing to walk with me humbly. Love God, love others, treat them the way you would like to be treated. And in so doing, you demonstrate Jesus Christ. You don't demonstrate you, you demonstrate him. This letter was primarily written to the southern kingdom. It was written to believers. It was written to God's children, and I realize that. So if you're here this morning, you say, you know, I, I really I don't. I've never known this, this kind of God. I've never known, a, I can have a relationship with him. That he wants relationship and not religion. That he wants me to walk and talk with him every day. I've never heard that thought. I want to encourage you that right now you can know this. That God says, I want you to be my child. I want you to know that I offer you forgiveness for your sins. That even though we're separated, your sins separate you from me, you're forgiven. It's not by doing things that we earn God's favor. It's by coming to Jesus and asking him to forgive that we earn it. This little lady yesterday that I buried, I told her family, a lot of them lost, a lot of lost faces in that crowd. I said, as much as I loved your mom, your grandma, and I knew her pretty well, I said what was good in her was not that she was just a good person. What, what was good in her was the Jesus that she knew. And if you want to go one day to a great reunion with and see grandma again, you better get to know the Jesus she knew. <laughs> and she would want you to know that. And she, she had told me that when I had a chance to meet with her. I want them to know about Jesus. The song she chose was, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." The verse she chose was John three sixteen, And she wanted me to tell them how to get to heaven 
and how to live life here on earth with purpose and direction and meaning, how to live life acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly. If you don't know Christ today, you can do that. You need to admit, I don't, I'm a sinner. I, I don't know the way. I can't find it myself. I am a sinner and I'm lost. Secondly, you need to believe that Jesus took care of that. In that verse, John 3, 16, it says that if we'll believe and confess, he'll forgive and cleanse. If you'll do that, if you'll believe, he will change your life. And if you'll be willing to commit your life to him, not only to Savior, but Lordship, the boss of your life, the truth, walking with him daily, that's Lordship. It's easy to sign up on the you know, save me from the fire plan. You know, it's a fire insurance. We all like to get that. Yeah, anybody want to go to hell? Raise your hand. No, I think so. Sign me up on the heaven plan. But that walking with him daily stuff, that's a little tougher. Yeah, it is. But that's the simple faith he calls us to. Today, if you don't know him, you can ask him to come into your heart by that simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come in. Forgive me and cleanse it. Christian, if you do know him, I challenge you. Make tomorrow different. Make next Sunday different. I pray that from this stage, our musicians and Pastor Mark and, and others will see in, in this group, a group that lived it through the week, to live for God through the week. You know what will happen when we do that? There will be a few more pews filled, right? There will. There will be a few more folks sitting next to you because they've seen Jesus in you. Let's share him this week. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time we've had together. I thank you for the truth of your word your love for each and every one of us. I thank you that you have given us a simple, simple faith. We're just, we're to act justly. We're to love with a merciful, faithful kind of love. And we're to walk humbly with you, doing things your way and not our way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.